welcome back to Joygasm, where we chat about video games, movies, and pop culture. I'm Russ, Xbox Live, Toaster360, and of course, Steve is still absent from the studio. I don't know where that fella is. I'm going to go out and find him, though. In the meantime, however, we are going to kick off episode 74 on this June 2nd, 2018. Today's episode is part two of the Jesse Snyder interview from last week's episode. If you haven't heard part one, I strongly recommend you check it out as he reveals what it's like working on the Call of Duty series, his creation of COD Zombies, what he did before getting into the game industry, and addressing Treyarch, changing the origin story of his involvement with COD Zombies. So without further ado, let's jump into part two and see what he has to say about his time working on little projects like Halo 4. Um, so then, uh, yeah, so then went up to, uh, it was just called Halo Internal Studio, you know, super generic. And I was the first designer hired out of kind of Microsoft. Um, we had a creative director at the time. Uh, his name's Ryan Payton, and he ended up founding a studio called Camouflage. Um, but uh he was like the first creative director there. And then, uh, yeah, you know, started hiring on all these really great folks, met, you know, had made a bunch of good friends there. I'm still friends with a lot of those people today. Like, um, like every E3, we like, you know, hang out and all that good stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we just started, it was crazy because they, when we started that game, um, that was, uh, an unreal engine game. And it was like unreal three or something. Mm -hmm. And with, within the span of like two months of me being there, uh, all this licensing stuff went down and basically Microsoft acquired the, the Bungie tech. Um, and then I was kind of in charge of like trying to figure out with like another guy um, to how to how to make a game in the Bungie engine without any documentation, which was like just crazy insane. Um, they didn't provide they, anything, huh? Nope. Nope. It was like, I, I mean, they, they didn't really have anything, you know, it was like they'd been making games and it was a lot of like tribal knowledge at the studio. Um, you know, it was like the Halo 1 and Halo 2 and Halo right. 3 engine. And, uh, you know, a lot of those people were still there at the time. And so, so yeah, so we just started um, trying to figure out how to make a game out of it. And we were like looking at GDC talks and like, you know, it was like we couldn't talk to like Bungie people because of like legal issues and stuff. So, um, oh gosh, that's got to be frustrating. It was crazy, yeah. But like, you know, my specialty is like modding and stuff, right? So I can kind of get into game engines and try to figure out like how how stuff works. So, and so what we was your, making, well, Sorry to oh, interrupt yeah, you ahead. real quick. What what was your job title when you joined three four three? When I started, I was senior designer. But then, like after like a year or two, they they made me lead campaign designer. Okay. So then they just say, gave me the vision of like they're like okay like because basically I I was the one like pushing all the stuff forward, um, you know, with like a couple other people, and so. Uh, yeah, they kind of put me in charge of like the gameplay vision, basically of the campaign, um, and uh, you know, kind of trying to figure out how to like tie narrative and and, and the camp, you know, the gameplay together and all that stuff. So, like, it's funny because I did a lot of hands-on work really early on uh, in that game, and then as it went on, I did less and less because we started hiring people, and I was kind of like, hey, this, you know, it was more like like kind of like watching over stuff, and I would jump in and write systems if people needed them, like. Um, ended up writing uh, what was the thing called the mammoth like that mammoth uh, mm -hmm. yeah the big giant like movable like vehicle thing because that I, was like our <laughs> we were like we want to do a scarab but, but different you know and so we did like that thing and uh, i ended up writing the the kind of core system around how that thing shoots and all that stuff so okay i i've got to stop you yet again because i'm totally yeah. i'm grinning ear to ear because <laughs> i don't know <laughs> if this was intentional or not but that vehicle when i when i was playing halo 4 
totally brought me back to my childhood when I collected G.I. Joe because that thing looks so close to, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but it's called the Rolling Thunder. Have you ever seen that? Uh-uh. Okay, when we're, it up. when we're done with this, do like an image Google search of G.I. Yeah. Joe Rolling Thunder. And I'm telling you, dude, that thing, it looks like Rolling Thunder version 2.0 or something. Oh, it, that's it's funny. Just, it was one of my favorite vehicles as a kid growing up. And looking at that in the game, I'm like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. This is the coolest thing. But anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that's, that's cool. Um, it's funny because the, the guy that ended up uh, making that level for real like you know the the real designer on that level is that he works at bungie now so he's like oh how i can funny. tell i'll tell him you liked it um and i think i think vic vic de leon he's like one of the artists that was there he left but uh i think he's doing like vr stuff now but he, i think he's the one that modeled the mammoth but oh dude that yeah that was a labor of yeah. love right there anyway continue yeah. please yeah so um yeah so i just kind of i worked on some core systems and then um yeah like i you know we knew that we wanted to do uh, like the Promethean kind of, uh, you know, forerunner bad guys to mix it up because, you know, again, it's like, are we just going to do the same thing? Like, are we going to do more Halo or are we going to try to do something different here? And so Absolutely. we were like, yep. we were like, hey, let's, let's, you know, and, and, and again, maybe being too ambitious, but we were like, let's make a good Halo game. That's like number one, but let's like, let's change some things, you know, let's like add some new stuff. Let's add some spice. So, you know, things like the Mammoth came in, but, um, we, as a team, we needed to just figure out how to make a regular Halo game, right? Like we had never made a game together before. And then you're asking a team to make a Halo game, which has all these kind of like, all this baggage if you get it wrong, you know? Right. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, so Prometheans, we were, we were looking at enemies and we're like, the flood are kind of terrible. Like, they're not, you know, like they make sense for the narrative, but they're not really fun to fight against. No one knows where, like how to kill them properly. People just shoot them a bunch until they fall apart or whatever. Well, and, and they're honestly, they're, they've they, at this point when Halo Four was was being developed, it was kind of played out. Like like yeah. the, the flood served its purpose for Halo One, Two, and Three, but after that, it was kind of like okay, yeah, no, it, it was cool there, but if you guys keep rehashing this, it's just not going to make any sense. But. Yep. Yep, that was exactly it. So, so we're sitting there thinking like, well, let's like let's continue the story, right? So it's like you're on the forward unto dawn, and and you know you're, de you're derelict in space, um, and and we kind of were like knew we had to do Master Chief, like that wasn't even up to us as a design team. It was just like this is what you're doing, but and, and that's like hey, everyone loves Master Chief, right? Like and everyone wants to see what happens oh, next yeah. with Master Chief, um, and so so yeah. Um, Oh, that was a. I'm, I'm trying to think of all the, the craziness that went on in that project because there's there's a lot of it. Um, but yeah, it was just like let's let's figure out what the new enemy types could be. Let's figure out new weapons. Like that stuff's important. Um, you know, let's do a new setting, like new environments. Um, and you know, if I always thought Forerunner environments were like really cool. Um, oh yeah. And so uh, we ended up going to oh no, the, what was it? The Didex like planet or whatever that we ended up getting like sucked into that and. Um, you know, now you're on this, you're supposed to be on this like forerunner planet and that's supposed to be crazy or whatever. And then you finally get to meet these like, you know, we were trying to like, like, okay, you're going to meet these new enemy types. And like, we, we, you know, I think the first time you meet them is like you land and you see these like dog creatures and you're like, what the F are these? And uh -huh. then, you know, and then it's like you, you, you start winding up to like, hey, we're going to get to the, the knights, um, the Promethean knights or whatever. I think that's, I, and I'm going to get my like dev terms and my like ship terms confused <laughs> because like... 
like like i don't what were the were the dogs named crawlers or something i can't remember because when we were making them they were called pawns so all right so i had the original design for the for the foreign enemies and they didn't turn out exactly how i wanted to they got changed by like we ended up like splitting the kind of way that the the game got made like because at first we just didn't have like a like a real sandbox team in place, and so we were like coming up with enemy designs and we we're coming up with all kinds of stuff. And then eventually, like the sandbox team took over enemy designs and kind of made them their own. But um, the way that I had originally designed the uh, the enemy types was around chess pieces. So it was like you know like pawns, knights, kings, oh, and queens. Oh, so and, cool! And so so the pawns were supposed to be like the dogs, and then the knights were the knights, obviously, and then the bishops were the the flying ones. So they would like heal people and like. <sighs> They would kind of mess with you stupid and stupid like, things were so annoying, but yet, yeah, I mean, right? it, like you could tell, like like that added threat to uh, what what the situation was. Yep. Uh, and so you kind of like when you're in, you know, like Halo Combat, right? You you sit there and you think about how do how am I going to solve this combat puzzle? Like, am I going to shoot the grunts first, or am I going to try to like take the shields off the elite and take him out, and then throw the grunts into disarray and then you know mop them up, or you know? So so we kind of wanted like a similar, um, I don't know, like like set of enemies that kind of like had those kind of like different like push points and stuff so um yeah like the, it was funny because the bishops i don't know if you remember they like threw grenades back at you oh yeah and that was like directly inspired from call of duty because i sat down one day and i was like how come enemies in halo don't throw grenades back at you like they do it in call of duty and so then we had these flying enemies and uh one of the programmers like made him like shoot a beam out and then like throws grenade back at you and i was like yes this is like perfect you know so <laughs> we're doing it like ai can do advanced things now in, in halo you know so um uh yeah so and it was funny because the original night design was very um was very different and i i liked it a lot more than what it ended up being because i know that the knights get a lot of flack for being like bullet spongy kind of enemies but the mm -hmm. original design was the they rolled into balls so kind of like metroid oh and so so what they would do is they would like they would turn into these like metallic spheres and they'd roll around and then uh you know they they could like that way they could like roll behind cover quickly and do all that kind of stuff and if you shot them as a ball then they'd like pop out and you could like kind of finish them off but um the idea was that they'd roll behind cover and then like pop up from behind cover and like shoot at you and maybe strafe a little bit then like kind of pop down into a ball roll somewhere yeah. else and um and it was super fun and like it was totally working but it was one of those things where it was like kind of the the you know the halo ip people were like this is too much like metroid you know and, and, and like it's like metal balls and stuff and i'm like so what like it's a video game like it's fine <laughs> you know and, it, and they're like yeah but it's sci-fi and it's like metroid and i was like Ugh. so so then um and then eventually the designs got handed off to other people and they like redid the, the the art of them a bunch and then they ended up kind of being like more bullet spongy but um yeah that was that was kind of a bummer so there's another feature that you asked for earlier that i that, like didn't make it in or something so yeah it's yeah. like the original night design i thought was really fun um and i think like more you know more games should do enemies like that but the prometheans we'll um uh, well before i get into that so for me halo is one of my all-time favorite game franchises ever oh cool just, just halo is um you know, Halo multiplayer. I'm I'm pretty proficient. I can hold my own in that, as opposed nice. to Call of Duty, where I, <laughs> I'm just about as useful as a poopy flavored lollipop. But, um, <laughs> the uh, but Halo Halo is absolutely one of my all time favorite games, um, and so I, I'm I'm very curious to hear um, you talk just about some of this behind the scenes stuff regarding Halo Four, because Halo Four was a departure in many different ways from what we had seen from Halo One, Two, Three, Halo Reach. You know, obviously Bungie was passing the torch over to you guys. And yep. I, for one, as a gamer, like I was ready to see a new class of enemy because we had dealt with 
um, the flood we had dealt with. I, it's so, so funny. I just said I'm a huge Halo fan. I'm totally forgetting no, the, co- the Covenant. The Covenant. My gosh. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, like I, I was ready to see something new, just because here we are in we were in this this type of environment where Master Chief is going all over the universe. I mean, he, he's going yep. to these exotic alien planets. Why is it that all we ever see are the Covenant or the Flood? Like, like there needs to be um, something new that's that's being introduced here. And of course, it made logical sense just to be able to, to explore more of the Prometheans, explore more of the Forerunners, have that narrative be pushed forward. And as a result, I mean, just the the way that the, I'll just call it like the, the species, so to speak, of the Prometheans, mm-hmm. the way that they fight and the way that they move around and strategize is very exclusive to them. It's, it did not feel at all like the Covenant did. Obviously, the Covenant has their own kind of feel with the grunts and with the, the yeah. units and so on and so forth. But I, I loved how there was a very different vibe with them when hmm. you came in contact with them where like I was forced as a gamer to all of a sudden change up my strategies that quite honestly were like, they're almost like I was conditioned as a gamer to like, Oh, if, they, if, if I see an elite, I'm going to shoot him a few times. I know he's going to dodge and roll behind cover, in which case I'm going to throw a plasma grenade. It's going to yep. flush him out. I'm going to finish him off with a shotgun. That no longer applies when, yeah. it, when, when I'm fighting against the Prometheans. And so it's interesting to hear. I mean, it, is it safe to say that when you were working with the, the Promethean class, is that one of the pillars for you personally as a game designer when you were working on Halo 4? Yeah, I mean, like the like Halo enemy design is all about like hier- hierarchy, you know, like like how these, you know, I was kind of alluding to it earlier, but it's like, you know, if you're like you, like you say, it's like, hey, I'm gonna do I take out the elites first or the you know the brutes, you know, and do I send the grunts into disarray? Do I take them out or oh no, there's jackals, I gotta like deal with that now, or like hey, there's two hunters, you know, I gotta I gotta figure this out. So they're like combat puzzly, but there's they're kind of like interwoven, right? And then you start to mix and match those elements together to create like different kinds of meals, you know, I guess as it were. Yeah. And so, and so that's like, yeah. And that's like a, like a core design tenant for halo enemy design, right? It's like, how, how can you develop these hierarchies in a way? And, you know, when we started out, we were like the, the hierarchy was basically just like elite grunt and so on. And then it was just boring, you know, we're just like, well, that's just, it's too similar. You know, you can't, you got to do something different. So, and then we're like, Hey, there's these Prometheans and they're crazy. Like, and they're, they're supposed to be like future, like, and old at the same time, you know, they're like so old that they're so futury at the same time. It's like mind bending. Right. So how can we, how can we develop kind of, you know, combat behaviors that make sense for like a human, basically, you know, superhuman to fight, but, um, that aren't so OP, you know? And so, you know, we, we, you know, like I said, we, we thought about like, you know, and flying enemies are always fun, you know, 3d navigation, but, well, I should say they're they're almost never fun, but like they're fun to design for, I guess. And so they're really easy to like kind of screw up. So we, you know, we made the the the, the I don't I think they're called watchers maybe when they shipped. Yeah. But we made them like really slow and kind of easy to shoot, but they'd like soak up a little more damage. Um, but then they like go they like could fly away faster. Like I think when you when you start laying into them, and like like design goals was like ooh they should feel like when you pop a balloon like like I wanted them to feel like they would like if you shot them they would like. Like almost like burst, like like a balloon, like with the air getting let out of it, you know. Um, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, and like they'd like to, like fly around the environment and crash into things and stuff. Or, um, but then they were supposed to be like the support class, like, and so that was like different, right? Then like 
when you think about like jackals and grunts, they're just more guns that have like different like gun kind of abilities. Mm-hmm. But then it was like, ooh, but what if we we had this other uh, this other enemy type that really wasn't about shooting? It was more about buffing the other characters, and so that's kind of the first thing you really want to take out, you know. Um, and so that you know, but and then it was like, <laughs> then we didn't have a gun on them, so people were just like, we get in these situations where he'd clear out everything in the level, but then they'd have these bishops flying around with like nothing, or like watchers flying around with like they couldn't do anything to you. So we <laughs> were like, okay, well they need to attack you, they need to do something. <laughs> so this is because you know quickly run into these edge cases as you're like testing stuff out, but but yeah, it was like it, it was interesting, right? Um, you know, and and the elites are basically like when you think about like the way. Halo enemies are broken down. It's like grunts are, are, are just that. They're meant to be like fodder. And then jackals are like a step above that and they're kind of an annoyance. But right. then elites are like, they're supposed to be able to like be one-to-one with like Master Chief. Mm-hmm. And then hunters are like in the next step up, right? And so we kind of thought along those lines where it's like, well, the knight has to be the kind of equivalent to Master Chief for balancing purposes. The, the bishop is kind of like the jackal in a way. And then, you know, the pawns or, or, or whatever they're called, the crawlers, I think. Um, I think you're right. Are the, the crawlers? Yeah. yeah, they're the uh, they're like the grunts, right? Um, and then uh, you know, and then it, <laughs> you get into all kinds of other crazy situations. There's like people don't like enemies that walk on walls, or you know, it's like hard to headshot them and stuff. And so we, you know, spent time trying to work on that. But but yeah, it was it was a very different like it was it was super fun to design those enemies at first, um, and you know, and then try to like get them into the level. Actually, and that's another kind of funny thing is we never like when we started. We didn't really have them fully developed until a couple of years in, and so we were just using the Covenant enemy set as stand-ins, and so we didn't even know if a lot of the environments were going to be set up well enough to, to, because you know typically you want to like de- design uh, combat environments around the enemy type that you're going to be right. using, kind of hand in hand, and we weren't able to do that in a lot of cases, so we just sort of hoped it worked, and then you know we had to make some minor adjustments, but that was you know that was kind of maybe why it didn't feel as finished as it could have, you know. That- but in addition to the uh, the Promethean classes, um, what did you did you also have a hand in just the actual weapons of the Prometheans? Uh, weapons were not so much. Um, weapons when I when I was you know start, when we were just kind of ideating all of this stuff, I was like, hey, it'd be cool if like we had lots of uh, kind of like like the forerunner weapon should feel crazy. Like I'd imagine like all the ammo would always be floating on the outside of the gun. Mm -hmm. And so then you could always see like the ammo. And then as you shoot it, it like puts itself in the gun and fires out. And then when you reload, like the ammo, like you're like, I don't know, you're like opening up a pouch or I don't know something. And it like the ammo comes out it like kind of like sticks to the outside of the gun and and whatever, but it's kind of like either you can imagine like magnetic forces or some hard light kind of something around there. Mm -hmm. But um, then we did this like research, like we did this like internal, like you are, you know, user research stuff at Microsoft and, and we kept getting this data back, which is like people just like the, the, um, like the Marine guns, like the human guns the most, right. like by a lot. And people typically just don't like the, the covenant guns. Like people don't usually pick up plasma rifles or like, you know, some, they'll pick up plasma pistols, but only to like drop shields. And that's only if you're like a, somebody that has that institutional knowledge and really cares about like, if, you know, being the most efficient when you're playing through it. I will um, have, you know, I am a fan of the needler. Yeah, and the needler's fun. Like I like the needler. Yeah, like who doesn't, right? Creates that big boom at the end. Uh huh. Very um, satisfying. Yeah, but uh, you know, it's like if you're if you're sitting there with like, do I want the like Covenant sniper rifle or you know the beam rifle or whatever or like the the Marine sniper rifle? Like you always pick the Marine one. You know, that's like, true. You get it. So, um, and it's just like it's just one of those things where people tend to 
be more like they just want to be around things that they're familiar with, you know? So like weapons that they are familiar with are the ones they're going to be drawn to. And like alien weapons are always a bit off putting to certain people. Um, even, even if you're like into halo, you're like, "Ah, I'd rather just, you know, if I can get the BR, I'm going to get the BR, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so, so when we started developing the, the, the forerunner weapons that we kind of ran into that problem. And so, um, and I wasn't kind of, Beyond that, I wasn't too much involved, but just kind of looking in, I know that they balanced them to be more like the kind of marine, you know, style weapons, like the that that faction. But um, the look and feel is still very kind of alien, you know. Mm-hmm. But they kind of just felt like I, I think they ended up kind of just feeling like, oh, it's an AR, oh, it's a pistol, oh, it's a SMG, but it's Forerunner, you know. So, I will say that that is a critique I do have about the the weapons, um, just. From a standpoint that, that they are very alien, um, I did feel as though the way that, that they would fire was too much in line yep. with what you're describing. Like, I think I probably would have preferred to have seen something that was a bit more exotic from yep. that standpoint, but um, it's just a nitpick of mine. Oh, yeah. No, no. Don't, I mean, you can critique all day. Like, that's, that's kind of like, and that's the other thing is like, <laughs> when you're like working in game design, all you hear is, a, is like critiques. And so I'm just like totally used to it. <laughs> so it's like, it's almost like weird when I hear people say like, I liked the thing you did. Yes, it's like what? You're like, wait, what? You do? <laughs> Does that mean I have to stop working on it? Or I don't, I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> yeah. So now, yeah, so no, you, I hear you. Your focus was on more of the the campaign. You said right. Yeah. So can you can you divulge a bit more into just what your daily tasks were as it applies to more of the, the campaign side? Because it's it's I, I'm I'm tempted to say it's. It's not exactly defining the narrative. You're, you're, you're focusing more on the gameplay mechanics, right? Yeah, it's, it's, well, so like, as like, you know, campaign lead, you know, it's more of design. It's like, I'm protecting the design, like the gameplay design of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you, you know, you do have a narrative team and they're going to want to do all kinds of stuff, but they might, they might ask for some things that end up breaking like um, a piece of combat or the, you know, the flow of a level or whatever. Right. And so, it's a lot of like me working with the narrative team, trying to like, um, you know, make compromises or say no, or, you know, say yes to, you know, various things that are are happening on their end. Um, and trying to fit in, you know, they might want some like mechanics that they want to like have it play out at certain places. Like, um, I think they had these like little, uh, like terminals you could interact with and then you could like, you can find narrative. And so like, Hey, where are we going to put those? That kind of stuff. Um, but mostly it's like me, um, just working with the other designers on a day-to-day basis, like sitting down, playing their stuff, giving them like feedback, like combat feedback, um, you know, trying to make adjustments with them. Hey, try this. What if we change the enemy set here to something else or take some of these guys out or add, add a sniper rifle here. That could be cool, you know. Um, and then going to like focus. So we do a lot of focus testing, at least at Microsoft. So working with them on like focus testing the game and, and trying to look at the data and not like, cause you know, you can, you get data back and, and it might, you know, you have to interpret it, you know, data is just data, right? So you have to kind of look at the data and say, what are, what are they actually saying here? Oh, like the player died way too many times here. It's like, well, did they? It's okay. It's, this is a hard part, you know, mm-hmm. like, we, you know, stuff like that. So, cause you don't want the whole game to just feel flat. So you need to, you need to find those like, you know, peaks and valleys and, and, and kind of look at the overall pacing of the campaign. And so it's a lot of that stuff. It's just day to day, like, you know, a lot of playing the game and giving feedback and then, um, you know, kind of filling in where needed. So like, like I said, like, Hey, here's a system, you know, to, to write up. Okay, cool. Like we're shorthanded. I'll write that system up. Um, and so your, your then, coding skills oh, yeah. are still coming into play very actively. 
Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it was interesting because they, um, they had, I don't, I don't know if you know much like about coding languages, but there's this, uh, programming language called Lisp and it's, I've heard the name of, obviously I've never used it. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Uh, so it's, it's basically like, um, I think it's a prefix notation. I want to say it's prefix. So like if you're going to multiply numbers, like normally in any other programming language, you do like two, you know, two times five, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this one was you'd, you'd put the operator first. So you'd put like multiply, so you'd be like multiply and then like five and two and you're like, okay. And so you're reading all this code where you see like, it's like, like minus five, three. And you're like, what is that? And you're like, oh, you're subtracting five from three or whatever. You're like, that doesn't, that, why would you put do this first? And it's just the way that the, the programming language is written for like Bungie, like back in the day. And the people just started using it and they got used to it. And everything is, has parentheses. So if you're like your programmer, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's like all just parentheses everywhere. There's no semicolons. There's no brackets or braces. It's all just parentheses, parentheses. And so one of my first orders of business was like, okay, this has to be done now because this nobody can use this and we're not going to teach people how to use this archaic language. Um, and so we converted it into a more like, like Lua-like language, which is like more like modern programming language where things actually kind of make sense and line up and you can, you know, your brain works in that order. Like if you've learned any programming language in the last like 20 years. So, um, so yeah, so that was like, and then or like our, you know, we got a lot more productive. We were able to like, all, like iterate on the levels a lot faster because people were able to code in a way that made sense to them, you know? So yeah. Yeah. Now, big question for you uh-huh. since we're talking about critiquing. I would like for you to give your high level critiquing of Halo Five. <laughs> um, can I can I admit that I've never played it? <laughs> so yes, you so totally can. There's another. So that's another one where Halo Four comes out, and we're about to go on to Halo Five. And again, like creative differences and political stuff pops up, um, and a bunch of us leave. You know, and some some of us stayed there. Um, and then they've, they, I, I think like everyone from that core, like Halo 4 team on the design side has left or, you know, there might be like one or two people there still. And, uh, that's another one where I'm like, I just like, I started that game out. I actually started on pre-production on Halo 5 and it was, um, uh, meant to be a very different sort of game. And, um, you know, it was going to be more of an open world kind of game where like, it, like. I know enough about the game. So I know there's like different planets you go to and you know, there's, there's lock and and that kind of stuff. And I kind of know a bit about why that ended up being that way. Like, it's like, Hey, we want to do universe expansion and let's introduce new characters that are cool. So we don't always have to just rely on master chief. Right. Which, which totally makes sense from like an IP standpoint. Right. But the game was meant to be like, I almost, I almost call it like, like kind of like an XCOM, but like first person ish. It's hard to explain, but like, the original concept was you were going to land on these different planets and like each planet had a different story for a different like main character. So like one would be like master chief and then one would be like Locke or whatever. And then one was going to be like uh, arbiter, I think. Mm-hmm. And so, and then each planet had a different story, but each, but each planet started like very light. So like, and like, like with nothing on it. And then you, over the course of time, you would like build up that planet's base. So you were like, all right, like, like you, you chief and a couple Marines land on this forerunner structure and let's explore. And you just kind of go around the, the area and you like uncover like forerunner artifacts and that like, and like, and those are kind of like the breadcrumbs that like 
get you to the narrative, you know, to the main mm-hmm. narrative. And then there were, and so it was like hub and spoke where you had like these big levels that would arc off of these hubs. And uh, then those were the big scripted main halo levels. But then when you came back to the hubs, then you could like build up your base and you could explore in that immediate hub area and build up your base more and more and like build up defenses and you could unlock the vehicle bay and then you could get the warthog and then you could drive the warthog around and like do all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, and then you kind of, you could take that design and like, you know, you can imagine like, oh, now the scientists show up because you advanced that part of the story and the scientists need to go scan the foreign artifacts. So now you do like, I know it's terrible to say, but escort mission, right? Where like you have to defend the scientists <laughs> to get to the foreign artifact and it like you bring them back and then, you know, that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, you, and then you take that design and you multiply that across different planets, right? So now like Arbiter's doing a similar thing on his planet, you know, in his home world maybe or whatever. And then like you have this new character, Locke, or, you know, maybe somebody from Blue Team or whoever. I don't even think it was Locke at the time, but um, you have some other characters doing that in, on another planet. And then like those stories converge at the end in some cool way. Um, and then the idea was that like you're getting all these characters back at your base and you're building up their narrative and you're kind of interested to see like who's there and like what's what's changed. And then the kind of like big twist was going to be that like co-op was played like like kind of like firefight was played at your bases. So now mm-hmm. like now is like, you know, people like you can engage, you can like say, let's start firefight at our base. Like I'm at this point in the story and I got it all built up. Let's play firefight. And then like, now you have like your firefight gameplay there and built around those bases, but it's more like custom to you because you're, you're the one like pouring your resources in and all that kind of stuff. And so I thought that was like a really sick design and I was like super stoked to like start making it. And then, um, it just, it just, it was, at, at the, it was just like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to really just focus on narrative and we kind of like some of these ideas, but maybe they're too ambitious and then thing, and then a bunch of people left and then things started getting scaled down. And I was like, okay, I'm, you know, and then it was like time to go basically. And, you know, and it was like, Hey, like that was at the point where I was getting sick of the Northwest and I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot. Like, I don't like rain that much and snow. I don't like being stuck in snow in my house. Like this is terrible. And like, so, <laughs> cause it's up, up in like Seattle. Right. So, uh-huh. and then oh, my yeah. friends were like, we really need you to back at Activision. We really want you to work at infinity Ward with us and make ghosts. And I was like, okay. So then that's, that's, I did that and kind of, missed a lot of what happened with Halo 5 after the fact. And then, um, you know, I hear all the stories afterwards about it, but I never, I never actually went back and like played it. So, yep. But I I know enough of the criticisms and critiques about it. Um, you know, and I know like I was kind of sitting there thinking like, I was like, you guys like built up this really big, like chief versus lock kind of story. And then like, you know, you see like the, the meme kind of videos of like, you know, Master Chief and Locke, like getting into like this big fist fight. And that was kind of the, that was it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And, and you know, the reality is it's probably just a factor of like time and ambition, you know, and like they just maybe ran out of runway and, and like I said, some people had left. And so they were like, how do we make this game? And so they kind of did what the best that they could, um, with what they're given, but ultimately it is what it is. You know, there was a lot that I really enjoyed about Halo four with just, again, going into the, the Prometheans. Also, um, I know that this this um, part, just as it applies to the narrative, you didn't have as much of a, a hand in, but I also mm-hmm. really liked just where they took the relationship with Cortana and Master Chief. I love the the juxtaposition that the, the, the story team was able to, to put together in terms of how she's an AI component, he's human, but yet at the same time, it's almost like he's more of the robot and she's more human, and, and how there is kind of almost a an underlying codependency that's there that Master Chief has. And so by the end of Halo 4, of course, there's that that big cliffhanger of, of how Cortana is no longer with Master Chief and that sort of thing. And it just, man, like just Halo 4 to me was, was just such a, a triumph of a game. It, it really 
just it pushed it where it needed to go. And um, Halo Five, in my opinion, unfortunately, would just it was nowhere near as good as Halo Four. Like there, yeah. there were there were certain key decisions that were made creatively. Um, that just, you know what, from, from a gameplay perspective of Halo 5, I know you haven't played um, Halo 5, but mm-hmm. it didn't feel like Halo anymore. Mm. And, it's, and, and it's the weirdest thing because I can't put my finger on it. It's not something that I can easily identify as, oh, yep, because he does this, hmm. therefore it doesn't feel like Halo anymore. But did, they, I, did they add aim down sights in 5? I think they did. That might, that's probably something to do with it. Like they were, so on Halo 4, they all, like, they really tried to have us add aim down sights and we were like totally against it. Um, and the, the reason was, you know, it's like, hey, it's not Call of Duty. You know what I mean? Like, Call of Duty is a stop and pop shooter, get behind cover. And Halo is a more like strafey, avoiding, you know, and, 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 the, right, kind of shooter. And so aiming down the sights is something you do when you're ready to like stop, you know, mm-hmm. in a way and like shoot at something. And so, um, we, you know, it, we actually had aim down sights at one point on Halo Four, and we took it out. And it, when it, it we had smart. it in there, it, it broke the game because, like, the like suddenly you're engaging AI completely differently, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it, it just changes the core game loop like like drastically. So, um, it you know, and also the guns, you know, the the kind of canonical guns aren't really set up for it. Like, you you don't have like aim down sights on a in an AR. There's no like sight profile on that, right? So. Right. Um, so those are, you know, and, and this was like a last minute ad that wasn't any part of our, you know, decision. I mean, eventually we got it out, but, um, and the reality was that it probably would have got added except it got added so late that they couldn't polish it. So they had to take it out. But, uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, like things like that start creeping into other games and you, you know, you, you kind of have to wonder like what, you know, it's going to affect the core loop in a, in a, in a big way. But then I think of like God of War and I go, well, God of War is a good version of that, right? Where they really changed the camera angle. Like they, you know, they stuck to that and, and it, I think it's better for it. So I don't think, you know, it's like, you shouldn't take, it's like, you shouldn't take risks, um, anything like that. But I think like, just, you know, I think the thought at the time was, Hey, add aim down sights because other games, and that's like universally a bad way to go about it, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Well, what I'd like to do is actually um, change topics a bit and um, sure. go a bit more into your past a bit and as well as just some of your, your personal kind of approaches to things. Sure. Um, back when you were younger and in college, obviously you're, you were honing your skills and whatnot. Can you identify um, which materials or people made significant impacts to you? being able to quote unquote level up as a game designer. Like I don't even know. I'm not even sure if you knew you wanted to be a game designer at that point in time. Cause obviously you started going into teaching, but yeah, were there certain uh, folks or, or just different things that like different events or experiences that you had that almost acted as catalysts? Hmm. Let me think about that. Cause like, like I said, like I've been kind of making games, you know, since I was like a tiny kid. Um, so like my mom, you know, is a huge, huge oh hey hey buddy sorry we might have to do this because my dog just started like whining that's okay if you heard it hey buddy. i heard of you you're a good boy you're okay um so my yeah i think my mom was probably like the single biggest influence like early on just because like she was like hey like let's you know make computer programs and stuff uh and i think for my how was it my 10th birthday she took um 
some old Atari game and like reprogrammed it. So like it was one of those games where it was like, it was almost like a Zelda like game, like the Zelda one where there's like different rooms and you'd go through each room and doorways. And then like, you could like get a key to unlock the next, you know, like a door somewhere else. Um, and so, but she changed the keys to be like the letters of my name. And so I had to like collect my like name and then like unlock the pathway forward. So that was really cool. And so from a really early age, like I'd already, I, you know, I'd always been like thinking like, Oh, it's of course you just change video games and make games. Like that's what everyone does. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, like I said, my dad is an artist. So as I got older, um, and kind of appreciated like his, you know, the way he treats things creatively, like that's another kind of factor in that. So yeah, my parents had a you know, huge influence. They're both like creative people. Um, and, but yeah, we always grew up around computers and stuff. My, you know, my parents were very technical too. So it was kind of, kind of an odd thing for looking back on it to be like, grow, I was, cause I grew up in like rural Oregon, like a tiny town called Coos Bay, but, uh, to have like access to that was, was pretty special in, in hindsight. But, um, and then, yeah, I'm trying to think like, like when I was in, uh, you know, high school and stuff, like I was just a normal high school kid, you know, I was just. I, you know, I, I played games, but I wasn't, you know, doing a lot with in terms of making them anymore. I, mean, I did some marathon stuff, uh, middle school and whatnot. Um, and then, yeah. And then I got into college and I, you know, I just took CS classes and I had a couple cool professors, but not, like they always pushed me away from games really. Hmm. Um, and so, and, it, and it, again, it wasn't anything like they were just at the time they weren't like, they, they didn't see a future in it. You know what I mean? Because they're, like one of them was like an ex NASA, like, you know, computer scientist and somebody else was like a, like a local, but kind of famous computer, you know, computer scientist. And so they were like, and this was like when the dot com bubble hadn't burst yet. And literally when I graduated, it burst. And so that was like part of the reason why I went into teaching. <laughs> um, so they were like, oh, Dang there's it. jobs everywhere. You know, the you know, there's so many jobs, but, um, but yeah, so when I was modding and stuff though, like I, you know, I would do a lot of IRC, like I'd get on IRC and like talk to like whoever I could talk to that was making games and there wasn't a lot of it, but, uh, I would talk to, and, and I don't even remember their like screen names or anything, but it was a lot of people from splash damage were on IRC because they were making, um, uh, enemy territory, like we'll return to cast Wolfenstein enemy territory, which was like mm-hmm. the follow up to, to Wolfenstein. And even before that, because they had like a lot of knowledge around the Quake engine. And so, you know, it's all Quake engine based. So I was like going to those people and going on to like forums and stuff and just talking to people online. Um, and, you know, the good, like the, the, the really good modders at the time um, and, and just trying to be like, hey, you know, like check out my stuff or like, how do I do this? And a lot of them were super nice about it and would help me out. Um, and so, yeah, a lot, a lot of it was like just kind of mod community and like also like splash dam- people from Splash Damage in particular was like super cool. Um, yeah. And then once I got into the industry, you know, I had a couple mentors that I ended up becoming like peers with, you know, like people that, um, like I mentioned, like, I think Mike Denny, it's a guy that, uh, he was like one of my kind of original lead leads, um, at gray matter. And he was the guy that ended up finishing zombie mode out, but like, you know, then I ended up being his boss later in life. So it's just kind of crazy how that all works out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is super cool. Um, sorry, I'm making a, a note of this. No, it's all good. Do, 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 what critical mistakes do some people make when they're starting out as game designers? Oh, man. Um, there's so many. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's so many. Uh, the, the, I guess the first one is you think that like it's going to ship the way you made it. Like That never happens. Like Everything always changes. Uh-huh. Like I... I don't think I've ever taken anything that I've made and like, it was like, she came out the way I thought it would. Um, it always changes a bunch. 
uh, getting too attached to what you're working on. Like, like oh, you, you yeah. really need to lay it. You need to like distance yourself creatively um, from things and um, you know the, the, everything that goes along with that. Like when things get cut or they change and you're too attached to it, then you become frustrated or you take it personally. Um, I think another thing that happens a lot with like just game developers in general is the way they critique stuff. So a lot of a lot of like kind of newer folks will just um, say like they don't like something or they think it's bad. They just say it's bad, you know, but they there's never, no, there's not like constructive criticism. Yeah. yeah like consistent constructive criticism is always a lesson that has to be taught, you know? Um, and I've, you know, I've learned, had to learn it a lot myself, but you, you say something and then the, Hey, you're going to say it wrong. That upsets people. And it actually makes things work like way worse than you thought, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Uh, I get this one a lot cause I do a lot of like interviewing and hiring and stuff is like, I'll talk to students and they're like, I'm the creative director. And you're like, okay. <laughs> of uh, what? <laughs> yeah, of what exactly? And they're like, I'm the lead designer. And I'm like looking at their stuff and I'm like, oh no, like this, you know, it's like, so I always tell people like, oh, when you're applying for jobs, even if you're like, we're a creative director or like a lead or whatever on your student project, just, just like apply for the, like, say like, if, if you're applying to be a designer, just say you're a designer, you know, like don't try to come in like kind of with the big ego and stuff. Cause that just will not work. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're working with like tons of people that have been through far more and it, that's just an immediate like turn off. Like they'll just be like, Oh, this, this person's too immature or their ego's too big. I'm not, I'm not even going to deal with it. So, right. um, so yeah, like that, that, you know, those are some like just kind of core, like, you know, weight, like behavior type stuff. Um, and that, you know, a lot of, a lot of designers and early developers get in trouble with, I think. Now you've worked on obviously we we've we've gone through Call of Duty we've gone through Halo. Um, what would you say is like has been the high point of your career so far? Uh, I mean zombies is probably it. Honestly, you know, like just in terms of like I yeah I never first of all I never expected it to get that big, um, which is just insane to like see that now. Um, and so, you know, I can always look at that and go like, wow, like, you know, I created this thing that like kind of set the world on fire and people still play it today. And then it got adopted by all the other Call of Duty studios, which I, I never saw that coming either, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but yeah, like, I, you know, it's funny cause I always liked UO the most cause it was like my first game. It's kind of like my first love, you know? Um, and just, you know, it was like so cool to have like worked on that game and not know that Call of Duty, you know, it was going to be so like it was a Call of Duty game and what that was going to turn into. And I was just like, yeah, this is chill. You know, I really wanted to be like, wanted to be good at my job. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, it's chill. You know, it's cool. <laughs> and then like, <laughs> and yeah, it turned into what it turned into. But uh, it was, it was pure is what it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was just nice. It was just no crunching really. And like, Hey, there's a couple crunch around, you know, a couple key milestones and stuff. And, you know, there was some crazy stuff that I ended up doing. Like, um, <laughs> like one of the other stories I like almost never get to tell is like when, when we were merging with, uh, with Treyarch, they sent me over as the person to help teach Treyarch how to use the call of duty tool set, but they didn't tell anyone else at gray matter at the time. And they told me to keep it quiet. So I was like, okay, because Awkward. they didn't, yeah. So, so here I was like leaving in the middle of the day and they're like, where's the new guy going? And, you know, and <laughs> I was like, in, like going to Treyarch and telling them like, here's how you're gonna make Call of Duty. And then like months later, they're like, we're merging with Treyarch. And, and then like literally the producer that said, don't say anything goes, and Jesse, and he points at me has been going over there for months and helping them. Oh. And everyone just like uh, daggers, like, ah. and I was like, what? Like, why would you say that? <laughs> 
And then a bunch of people like hated me for a little while after that, but they got over it. So <laughs> you feel your butthole pucker. You're like, yeah. I was like, well, I'm going to be murdered in my sleep tonight. That's awesome. So, <laughs> so do you, yeah, obviously with yeah. <laughs> going to the witness protection program yeah. starting now. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but do you, do, do you have any mentors over the years? Uh, not really. I mean, it's, it's funny because I've ended up being the mentor for a lot of people, I think. And, mm -hmm. um, I, I keep getting put in these situations where it's like, you need to figure this out. <laughs> like help us figure this out. You're the guy that needs to figure it out. So, so I'm always like the tip of the spear kind of person. Like, like when I came over to, like I said, like I was, you know, I, my first year of making games, they're sending me to Treyarch to help them, you know, right. make games. Right. And then like we merged, um, and then it's just like, make games now, <laughs> make them now, make them fast. And you're just pumping out the games. And then, um, and then, uh, I'm trying to think like, like after that, if I, but, but then it's like, you, you get to this point where you're like around people that are like kind of your skill set, and maybe like, you know, a little bit better. And you're just trying to like learn what you can from them, but they're also trying to learn from you too. So then you end mm -hmm. up like quickly becoming peers and, uh, you know, you just become friends and stuff. But, um, and that's, that's kind of like been the bummer for me. I think and when I look back on my careers, like I wish I had like, like, I wish I had like a, like a Corey, like Barlog or whatever from like, you know, like God war, like, mm -hmm. um, like somebody that I could like really go to and be like, I like this person's amazing. Like I can just trust everything, you know, like Neil from like naughty dog. Like I hear like all these crazy things or like Neil and Bruce, you know, from naughty dog, um, where they would just like follow them in off a cliff, you know, because they believe in, in what they're like, what they do so much, you know? And I, I, you know, typically the creative directors that I've had and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying like they're bad or anything, but they've been like kind of also thrust into the similar situations where it's like they're out of their element a bit, or maybe they're like, like they used to be an art director and now they're a creative director. So I can't really like learn a lot design wise from them. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been kind of one of those situations where it's just like, I've been the one that's like having to, you know, and it was like I said, like, Oh, okay. Learn the bungee engine. All right, cool. I'm going to do that now. You know, like I, I just keep being put in these situations where it's like, tip of the spear and um, haven't had a lot of time to do like reflection or like learn from others kind of unfortunately. So, but I mean, it sounds almost like it's, it's kind of the reverse where I'm sure there have been quite a few people who have gone under your wing and have been able to use you as more of a, a mentor capacity because everything you're saying, I mean, you, you, you've been placed in this position time and time again, where you're having to forge the way forward, the, the only way you know how, which is just to tinker with things. Yep. Yep. You know, and, and, and I mean, that, that's, that's true. Yeah. That, that's, some people that's something to be said that. for that. I mean, it's, it's, there are, I mean, at least in my, in my life experiences, um, I, I can probably count on one hand how many people are capable of doing that, especially in your situation, because it almost sounds like it's almost like a, a repeated type of scenario. And, and not only is it repeated, but you thrive in that type of environment, I would say. Yeah. It seems that way. Huh? Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, like when three four three started, it was like hire a team, you know, find find talented people, and you know that's that's like another one of my skills is like like I can identify good developers really quickly, you know, and it it doesn't take long for me to like assess that. Usually, you just have to ask them like <laughs> like about the games they've worked on and kind of like what problems they've solved, and usually you can quickly discern if like they were the one solving the problem or not, you know, and that's like a pretty good way to do it. But um, yeah, it's funny because I've had people tell me like, hey, like. Like a man, you could, like I worked for you for like a year, and now I'm at Bungie, and like really, th thanks for getting me in the industry and like teaching me all, teach me the ropes and stuff, and 
and so I get the, that from time to time, you know, and, um, you know, there's a few people that I still work with that are like, oh man, like you're like, I, I like really look up to you and stuff. And I'm just like, well, okay. <laughs> like it's, it's like weird for me, you know, like it's kind of like, okay, <laughs> we're just working together. So let's just make cool games, you know? So that's a but, great yeah. compliment though. Yeah, it's cool. I also wanted to touch really quick on um, one of the things I thought was fascinating that you talked about earlier was how you were using chess as kind of the, the basis for the Prometheans. And I'm just yeah. curious, um, from concept to completion of any game design, can you describe your process? Just I don't I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking yeah, chess sure. is probably a one off for just Halo 4. But just what is your process? Uh, hmm, it differs from game to game. You know, um, usually there has to be some sort of like, I mean, if it's, it, it sort of depends, right? Like I, I have like side projects and stuff too, um, you know, that maybe one day I'll finish, but like, usually there has to be like some sort of like spark, you know, something that like really like motivates you from the, from the outset to like make, make the thing you're making. And then like, like I said, it differs from game to game. Right. But I mean, Call of Duty and Halo are pretty similar in a lot of ways. Like you start out with, um, kind of like probably some sort of like narrative that you want to tell, like some, like some bigger story that you're trying to tell. And then some like place that that needs to be told in. Cause mm -hmm. like I said, usually I've been working on like single player campaigns. And so that basically means story, right? They're all based around story. So you start with a story and then you, you know, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but you, you, uh, you know, usually like somebody at a high level or working with a design team, says like, here's, here's the kind of like place we want to be. It's like, it's like, I'll use, I don't know. I guess I'll use like Halo as an example. It's like, Hey, we're going to be, it's going to be set after we want to continue Master Chief's story. So it's going to be set after Halo three and what, you know, what, and then it's like, what could that be open-ended, right? What could that be? And, and then, and then you start to think about, well, what do we want to do differently this time? Like, where can we innovate? You know, we don't want to just do what's been done before. That's just like copying design is like the like worst thing ever. So, um, I mean, in terms of like creatively, like it's just boring, you know? So, um, so then we start to think about like, well, like what, like what kind of environments do we want to be in? So we, we just start to like sketch out like different environment, like write them down or like think about different environments. What kind of gameplay do we want to do differently this time? Like, Hey, let's add a new enemy class. That sounds cool. Okay. Well, that means, you know, we got to use the hierarchical kind of halo design. What is it, you know, what's that going to look like for these guys? And then we start just doing like lots of concept, you know, usually like lots of like mood pieces, um, you know, sketches of like what the characters could look like, uh, different enemies, that kind of stuff. Um, and then like, you know, things split off into different disciplines, right? So art, art will go do the concepty stuff. Design will start, kind of fleshing out levels. So they'll start to say like, okay, cool. We're going to be set, um, post Halo three. And we've kind of divided up the the game into maybe like, like 10 levels, um, into, you know, 10 different settings. That's cool. Oh, and like, Hey, here's some, here's different types of gameplay that we want to do. Like just mechanically, like here's different, like things we want to have happen. Like we want to have like a vehicle level or whatever. This one's mostly based on flying or we're going to introduce some like new weapons here. This is a good, good pacing. So, um, and then you try to like merge, like at least that's what I try to do. I try to merge like the, the places with like the mechanics and what makes the most sense. And then kind of look at that overall and then figure out like what that, what the pacing is going to be. So you want to make sure that you roll out with like, you know, your early weapons early on. You don't want to like start with like, okay, everyone gets power weapons in the first level, you know, typically, unless you're doing one of those things where it's like, you get all the cool stuff in the beginning and then we take it away. And then, you know, like that you can do that design too. But, mm -hmm. um, 
and then, and then it's a lot like, okay, we're doing the first level like that. You know, we got to think about tutorialization a lot. Like how, how do we get players into the game and really make it accessible? Like that's another kind of, when you were talking earlier about like, what do people do? What do early designers make mistakes of? It's like getting, it's like, it's just like tutorialization and getting people into the game and making sure they understand how to play the game. Like that's a, that's a big part of design. But, um, so yeah, so it's, it's a lot of like taking those environments, taking mechanics, trying to see where they see where things like fit together and then creating pitches, basically just creating pitches for each level. Um, Hey, I think this level is going to be cool because, and then PowerPoint presentation or like word document with like lots of images in it that kind of details out like what the design of the level should be. And then there's a big back and forth, you know, usually like, you know, creative, different creative people have to get involved and make sure that it syncs up with narrative and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, creative director has to have sign off on it. And then, yeah. And then you basically go into production, right? You start making the thing. Um, you, you, you assign people levels, you know, usually you try to get people that pitch the level to be the people working on the level. Um, and you start making it, you know, and then it's like day in, day out, just like going through my, you know, different like milestones and checkpoints of like, okay, like first thing we got to do is, you know, and, and this is the way I like to work is like kind of get the whole level blocked in like really fast. So get mm -hmm. the whole, the whole environment set because you want to see like how like because I, I can play through a level that has no scripting in it in my head and just pretend that there's going to be all this cool stuff there one day and kind of get it a rough idea of like how long that's going to be and then um so i go oh, you know like and, and then you're, you're really trying to get a sense of scale as well like is is like are the are the objects are the you know in this world are they the right size you know, and so you can scale everything up or down based on that. Um, and then once that, that's kind of like a block in phase. And then once that's set, you start doing like, um, a, a, like the next phase, which is like the detail like level, like you start mm -hmm. like detailing. It get, well, yeah, but it's like getting it up to like, um, you know, what most people consider alpha quality. Um, which is like, there's like a big difference between alpha and beta. Alpha is like playable and there's like some bugs in it, but it's basically like you could sit somebody in front of the game and they generally can't break it too bad, you know, um, unless they go off the beaten path too crazily, then there's going to be problems and stuff. But if you kind of play what everyone calls the golden path, then you'll be fine. But it won't, it won't have like finished assets everywhere, but it'll have some. And that's, so anyway, that's typically what alpha is. So then what you do is like, you go through each section of the level and you just detail that out. Like, so you go like, okay, where do you want to start? And then usually it's like the beginning and you say, okay, let's start at the beginning. And, and you spend like a couple of weeks getting the, the first part up to alpha quality. And then the second part and the third part, and that level is kind of split up into a couple sections, you know, and that, and that usually takes like months of time, right? Like sometimes even like a year. Um, and yeah. And then that's where like the beat of the gate, that's, that's like full production, right? So now you're like in meetings with people and you're, push inverts back and forth and you're taking guys in and out and you're, and then, Oh no, we don't, we can't have this weapon anymore because the artists, you know, something happened. And so now we got to take this weapon out. Well, that affects the design. You know what I mean? It's all that, that's all that kind of stuff, right? The back and forth of like making a game and all the iterative stuff. Um, and then, yeah. So then like a level will get up to like alpha quality and then we'll usually like put it on the shelf. Um, because the game, there will be other bugs in the game that are, are bigger that like, well, if like you can't like fully polish a level from the beginning, usually you just can't, you don't have all this like systems in place and there's might be other things going on in the game. So you kind of get it up to this point where it's like in a good state, but it's like not beta quality yet. And then you kind of do that for every level. And, and then, you know, however the levels need to get done, they get done. And um, yeah. And then you, you sort of, you have this like big, big moment where you get to play all the levels in like alpha, you know, and that's really cool. Cause you're like, this is the game. Like you can kind of see the whole game now. Um, and that's a really like kind of big moment. And then, uh, and yeah, and then you, and then you finish it, right. You like put the finishing art in, you fix all the bugs, you 
you cut stuff, you know, to like usually like first playable alpha time is like when you, you start to like remove things. Right. Um, and hopefully you've removed some, a lot of things before then, but this is where it's like the last like checkpoint of like, mm. you have to cut things now because you have to finish them now. Right. So if you don't cut it, you got to finish it. And if you've got, and if you're committing to finish it and you don't have enough people or enough time, then that means really bad crunch is coming, you know? And I, like, I, I'm so crunch averse at this point in my life. Like I don't want anyone to go through it. So I'm, I'm just fine cutting stuff. Like I'll just cut, cut early and cut often. Mm-hmm. So, um, I actually have a yeah. follow up question for you regarding that. I was just yeah. thinking about as you were, you were describing this process. I actually, before I, before I ask this question, um, did you have any other, other points that you wanted to make? Because I don't no, want to, no, that's all good. It's all good. Okay. So, one of the, the trends that I've noticed recently in games, and I'm actually, I, I have a bone to pick with this. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, but so one of the trends I notice with a lot of developers these days is they are intentionally releasing games that are 50% done. I mean, yeah. they, they are straight up, like like Sea of Thieves is a great example where mm. love the game. Like, like it, it, Microsoft and Rare especially has done a terrific job in creating like a, a sandbox type of scenario where it's, a, it's literally like a social sandbox. A lot of fun to play, but the world is empty. There's, there's just not a lot to do. Hmm. And so you could tell as a result, they're having to scramble. They're trying to get the DLC out as fast as possible because people yeah. are realizing, hey, there's not really a whole lot to do here. Like what you have is at its at its core, great. I mean, it's, it's very addicting to play. It's fun to play, but there's just nothing to do. <laughs> and right. I'm not I'm not trying to single Sea of Thieves out um, by itself. I'm just using sure. it as an example. But it is something that I'm noticing more and more as um, these larger publishers and, and, and well-known developers, they, they start cranking these games out. I wanted to get your opinion on that. Well, what, what is your opinion as it applies to these, these, this new type of approach, I guess you could say with games where it's, it's very, I mean, you can tell it, it's, it's designed to be 50 to 60% complete with the idea that then the remaining 40 to 50% is going to be kind of repackaged as DLC in order for the company to make more money. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's interesting. Um, like I think of, like when you mentioned that, I'm like, my first thought was like early access games, like on PC, like you, there's a lot of that, you know, and even like, like my, my current studio did that, right? With like H1Z1, they're like, okay, early access for H1. Um, and, you know, it's it's a double-edged sword because if you're treating it like a beta, then it's fine. But if you're tre- if you're treating it as like something else, I think you run the risk of like, like put like being off-putting to like your core like audience that you could pot- potentially have because like first impressions matter, right? Like that's, it's like, like I say that a lot, but um, you know, when you're, especially when you're making a game, like, you know, people sit down, they play this game and if their first impression is like, Oh, this is, this isn't, this is unfinished, then you've already lost them and you really can't get them back. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's ex- like exponentially harder to get them back. Um, because there's so many other options for people to go engage in. Right. Mm-hmm. So if your first impression isn't solid, then they're, they're probably not coming back. And then you, and then you, you see exactly what you're talking about where it's companies scramble to like try to fix it. But the, well, the war's already been lost. Like, uh, you know, typically like it's already lost. Like there's no coming back from it. Right. Um, and like you can put, you can get like Hail Marys, right? Like you see like Fortnite's a great example of that where they came out, it was like whatever, early access, et cetera. And it was their, um, 
but they didn't have a, a battle royale mode. They just had like their co-op building, you know, mode. Right. And nobody really played it. And then they got a second chance because they added BR, but that was like a fresh ad, right? And so then suddenly like stuff blew up. But if they would have just kept adding more and more to their co-op mode, I don't think anyone would have cared, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it's like, yeah, you're talking about Sea of Thieves. Like, I think like PUBG like did the same thing where they're like early access for a while, but there was was a little better because the it's tricky, right? Like, if you're gonna do that, like your game has to be like already pretty pretty well along and competent and fun, um, you know. And if it's not, then you're just it's like you're just shooting yourself in the foot. You're just losing your audience right out the gate. So, I mean, my opinion is like unless you're like have a close to finish game or you know that there's something super compelling about it and it, you know, it just needs some finishing touches, then you should, you know don't, don't do that. Right. Like you're going to, you're going to end up losing your audience. Like, and you know, that's, that's how you make your money. That's how you keep people entertained. Right. So, yeah. I'd be curious to know too, just from a a purely game design standpoint, if if you were say, for instance, you're working on a particular title and then they come to you and they say, Hey Jesse, yeah, we, we, we love what you're doing. Uh, but we need to, um, split this into half. So, so if, what we need you to do is create, you know, take, take what you did, do a diet Coke version of your game design. And then we're going to bring in the, the second half of your game design as parts of DLC. But the only way that the, the player is going to be able to enjoy it is if they buy it. I mean, is that, is that something that you yeah. would be in support of or no. do you, would you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds bad. Like just like as a game designer, like, you know, to, yeah. and, and, and I like, look, there's like this whole business end of things that I typically don't get into. And I, so I just leave the, the powers that be, I trust them to do that stuff. Right. Like I just, I just know how to make games like, you know, um, and so, but when it gets into like the economics of like when to release things and stuff like, but there, but I do know gamers and like, I'm a gamer. And so I know, what gamers like and don't like typically. And like, you know, you see, like I see EA getting into all kinds of hot water over the, you know, the, uh, pay to win stuff and, and whatever. Right. Like the, the, right. what is it? um, I forget the name oh, of it. Like, but, but anyway, so like, it was in one of their star Wars games or something, but, um, yeah, star Wars battlefront two came out and they got into a lot of trouble with that because they were, they were basically selling, um, upgrades, like things that, that yeah. were like, actually change up the the dynamics of the gameplay itself and and so people could basically like oh well if you spend an extra hundred dollars then your character would be that much stronger and it, it, would, it would effectively break the game design yeah like i think of um yeah it's like you pay for a 60 dollar game and like i'm still old school so like when i pay for a 60 dollar game i just want to be done like i rarely if ever even buy dlc anyway just because i'm like well i bought the game and i finished it and now i'm done you know which is you know, it's just, it, it's, it's, but there's a lot of people that buy DLC, right. And cause they get invested in the game. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm like a big fan of like, Hey, like you, you paid 60 bucks, like that's the game. And, um, you know, I, like I, I'm okay with like free to play stuff, you know, as well. Like if you do free to play, like I think of like league, I think league does a good job, like league of legends, like it's free to play and you just kind of play it and do whatever. But then if you want to have certain champions, then you have to basically buy them. Otherwise you can play them when the weekly, you know, you can play them if they're up for that week or whatever. And so you're like, okay, that's cool. Like I'll just, uh, you know, like I'm not paying anything yet. So I'll just, that's fine. I'll pay a couple bucks to buy a champion that I like and learn that one champion. And then you feel like, well, dude, I got, this is cheap, man. I was only like five or six bucks, seven bucks, whatever. Like hmm, I'll buy another one. Hmm, I'll buy another one. Right. And then, and then you get invested in the character and it's like, oh, cool. Like I like these skins. And then, and then next thing you know, you've paid like 60 bucks, but 
you you feel rewarded for it, right? Like you you don't feel like you're being taken advantage of because you're you're kind of buying the things you want anyway, you know. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of doing it like if you, I mean, then there's no way to buy every champion and every skin anyway, right? So and that would be just cost prohibitive on on you know on Riot's end because they spend a lot of time making that stuff and they have a, just a ton of content in their game, really, um, in terms of champions and like enemy design and stuff. So. Yeah, like, but if somebody came to me and said, like, hey, split up your design, I'd be like, well, like, why, first of all? Like, you know, like, <laughs> like, are we, first what? of all, like, are we going to make more money or less money? And also, are people going to be mad at me or are they not going to be mad at me? And, and like, because these things matter to me, you know? Um, uh-huh. So it would, it would come down to that. And if, so, I mean, if somebody could make a good, like, economic argument and where people weren't upset at me, then sure. But I, like, that's not going to happen where they say, like, split the design into and then like make the fun part be paid for. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now a fun question for you. Yeah. What are some of your all time favorite games? Oh, Oh man. Uh, let's see. So I always pull out these really old ones that like no one's heard of. Um, like games like Jumpman for like the Atari which is like, Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> yeah. Which is like one of the first like platform, like for probably the first platformer. Um, and like, uh, there's a game called minor, like 49er, like 2049, like what was called a minor 49er. So they're like platformer. Um, and so that like, those are just burned into my brain is like when I was a kid of like, these are the, like, Oh my God, like Jumpman was amazing because you were just this little, you know, stick figure guy that had really cool animations. Like, like the animations are better than like, <laughs> like a lot of games out like now that are like platformers and stuff. Um, and it was just like, every level was like a cool, like puzzle that had different mechanics in it. And it's really just like really boils down like platforming game design into like its core. Like you'll, you like you'll have these like bullets that like slowly move through the world. Cause y- y- you know um, it's, it's basically like a, it's like a 2d platformer and each level is just, it's one screen. You don't, can't like move, you know, like Mario or anything like that. It's just like the, the screen is the level and they have like, you know, it's like uh, you're a tiny little stick figure guy. That's like maybe, I don't know, like an inch tall. And then you have like these different, uh, uh, what like 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 layers of like ground basically, and you know there's like no background right. It's like Atari game, so it's just like one color background with like these you know different. But then each level is split up. They have like the way that the um geometry is laid out is different. They have different enemy types in in each level, and then those enemy types change up gameplay. So like there's one. Uh, so it's like for example they they like I was saying they introduce you with these, these little bullet like movement. So these like bullets slowly move through the world, but if they see you, then they like, it, it plays this like crack sound and it like comes shooting at you and you try to like jump over it or whatever. And there's like ladders and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then there's like these like flashing blocks that show up and you're like, Oh, the, and they're doing the same behavior. And then, but if they hit you, they force you to jump. So like, you're like, Oh, that's kind of weird. And then eventually you get in these levels where there's like ho- tons of holes everywhere. And there's tons of these like flashing blocks. And so like, if they hit you, then they force you to jump off the level and into holes and stuff. And you're like, Oh my God, this is crazy. And there's like ropes. So there's, you can be like climbing ropes and then suddenly this like thing hits you and it like forces you to jump off the rope and you die and whatever. And you get like multiple lives and stuff. Um, and then there's all kinds of other crazy enemies. Like they introduce like vampires and like bats and all kinds of just, just crazy fun stuff. But, um, so yeah, Jumpman is like one of those games where like I can still like put the Atari stick in my hand and like feel it like just sort of if I close my eyes, I'm like, Oh, this game is like so fun to play. Um, and then like another old game is like mule. Like have you ever heard of mule? It's like an old, like electronic arts game, but, um, I, I don't think so. Well, what, what's so, it about? So this is like, this is another crazy game where you start out, you pick like one of many alien races and they each have different like trading abilities. And you then, um, 
uh, I think you you pick so then it shows and so then you pick your your race and it's like okay cool now you're gonna pick plots of land on this map and this like square like moves across like a two D map of this like you know top down like world and when you hit the button it selects that plot of land and that becomes your plot of land and then every other AI character or other it's a four player game so then other players can do it too. And they're trying to like select a plot of land before you. So you're trying to get like the most prize land before they do. So there's kind of like a bit of a like, oh, like like buzzer, like like almost like a game show mechanic where you like have to hit the buzzer before other people to get like the plot of land near the river or whatever because it has more <laughs> minerals. And so, and then you go into this like, um, uh, and, and then, oh yeah, and then you can like actually walk around in the 2D space and like um, you can add like little tiny things like different like solar farms and stuff. But um then, then you go into this like trade and then it goes into like a trading sim where like you're, you uh, like, there's kind of like a turn ends after you've selected your pot of land and you can like put like upgrades on your land and then you get resources based on what you've done, what you've done for that turn. And then you go into this like trading sim aspect where you and the other alien races are now saying like, well, I have this much, you know, solar power and you have this much like coal or whatever. I don't remember what the, like the actual elements were, but then, and then you're like buying and selling them based on rarity and stuff. And so, and then you go back and sounds like settlers of Catan. Have you ever played that? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And so then, and then your plot of land gets bigger and it, and it behooves you to get land that's closer to your land because you get bonuses for that. And, you know, ba- again, based on your alien race, you get like different bonuses. So if you're getting like, if you're near the river and you're this one type of alien, you get more bonuses than if you're somebody else and you're out in the mountains, you know, you get like mining bonuses and stuff. So, um, and so that was like, it's kind of weird because there's never really been a game like it that I can think of, but it's such a cool, unique, like kind of it like it involves like, like almost like real time strategy elements kind of, but then also like trading and economics. Um, and, and like it's competitive as well. It's a really fascinating game. Um, and then, then, you know, other games of course are like be like return to castle Wolfenstein and like marathon. Um, cause those are like some shooters that I played when I was a kid and like modded them and like really have like an, you know, just this like affinity for them and like really memorable, like good memories or, you know, good emotions around those games. Um, and then, uh, I think like Mega Man, like, cause I, you know, I love Mega Man. Like, oh, the, the, love me the, some Mega Man. Yeah. Original Mega Man design is just like so good. And that's another one that like, no, no, no games really touch it in terms of design. Like, um, they're so unique, like picking different bosses that allows you, but, and you can do it in any order. So like, I, I don't know, like I'm always drawn to these games that have a lot of agency, like player agency. Like you can just kind of, it's like more free form, you know, like you can like, cause I always think about games as like, it's an interactive medium. Like that's, that's kind of what makes games special. And so the more you let players have control over what they're doing, the more it feels like a video game to me. Um, and you know, the, the better games in my opinions are the ones that have more agent, like mine. I still like Minecraft, like Minecraft is just do whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and that's great, but they do have game mechanics and like they have enemies and trade, you know, villagers that you can trade with and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah. And then like, I like competitive, a lot of competitive games too. Like I used to play a lot of league and I, I kind of got to the point where people just got mad at me. Cause it's like, you're, you know, like you get into like competitive situations and people are like, Oh, you're not playing your, your lane, right. Or, you know, you're not playing this champion wrong. And it just gets old after a while, you know, the kind of toxicity around competitive gaming is real, you know? And mm. like, like I mentioned, like I got a wife and a kid and you know, dog and all that stuff. Like, I don't, I don't need that. Like I don't need the negativity. So, um, uh, and yeah, I play a lot of Overwatch now. Like I, I love Overwatch. Um, oh yeah, let me some Overwatch. Yeah. If you listen to Joygasm, man, we talk about Overwatch oh, okay. almost every episode. Yeah. So I've been. I just got recently got back into it because my <laughs> my buddy. So I played it when it first came out. I played like the first two competitive seasons, 
And then um, I kind of just stopped. I, you know, I was like, I was like, yeah, they're not adding anything. And, and they didn't add anything for those first two seasons. And then they, I think they, um, Oh, what's her name? Uh, is it, uh, is it Anya? Which is the one where she's like the Anna. support class. Anna. Yeah. Anna. That's like kind of where I, I, I stopped playing. Cause I used to play a lot of widow and I was like, Oh cool. Support sniper. And then I just never got the hang of her. So I just, I just kind of stopped playing. And then my buddy um, was playing on PS4 a lot and, uh, and he's really good. He's like diamond, I think on PS4. Oh, nice. And, and then um, I'm like, yeah, let's play PC. So we'd start playing PC and he plays with like a controller on PC and we're playing quick play and he was just dominating. He was just wrecking people. And so we finally unlocks comp and we're like, all right, let's do it. Let's do competitive play. And, you know, and then he gets in there and we just, we're just like, we like, we, you know, we, we, I think we placed in gold and now we're like in silver again. And he's like, <laughs> what's happening? And I'm like, dude, PC is a whole different beast, man. And like PS4, they give, they have auto aim and stuff systems. Like it's, it's different. So he plays a lot of like diva and like the new meta is, is like very anti, um, dive, you know? Uh-huh. And so, you know, if you're playing like, it's like Brigitte, like, um, Oh, uh, uh, who's he? Oh, dang. I just forgot his name. Uh, I should know his name. Uh, this guy with a bow and arrow, the, um, Oh, Hanzo. Uh, oh yeah. Hanzo. It's like Hanzo Brigitte, Brigitte or whatever, uh, meta uh, right now. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, very anti-dive and so yeah it's, it's tough for for him to adapt i guess but he's 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 coming along I yeah love overwatch, overwatch oh is fun I, I used and, and i play a lot of roadhog too and roadhog is like I, when i first two seasons of roadhog were like awesome because you could rope people from anywhere you know uh, chain them from anywhere mm-hmm. and 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 like now it's like i i miss like everything and like geo like, like geometry like stops my my hook and i'm just like what is this like this is a different game now <laughs> So they nerfed, they, keep, they, nerfed they, they definitely favorites. keep tweaking with it. That's for sure. Yeah. Yep. That's good. I mean, you got to keep the meta fresh, right? Like, yeah, I actually see this pattern of like game makers, uh, Blizzard does it league does it where they, when they release a new champion into the meta, they're a little bit OP. And I think they do that on purpose because gamers love to play OP characters. Um, and they'll flock to them. And so, and then that kind of upsets uh, some other people, but what it does is it cements that, character's role in the universe and then later they can like nerf them but like they do that time and time again like league especially like you're like okay here's this new okay let's play the new one and then if you can learn it really fast you can dominate and then eventually they nerf it and then it like you know becomes more balanced but it's kind of a tricky tactic they use i think and every one of the characters that they've come out with, I don't know if, if how uh, recently you've been playing it, but I mean, they've they also released Moira recently, which is yep. a pretty sweet character too. Yeah, I need to learn her. Um, I, I, I'll play Mercy or like Lucio, like usually if I'm doing support stuff, but mm-hmm. I think Moira would be cool. Start to learn some Moira. Yeah. Now, would you like to see a return of certain classic game designs that were prominent back in the 8-bit and 16-bit days? Because you you were talking about Atari, and I, I was surprised actually by um, just the the number of, of games that were your kind of your all-time favorites. And, and I started thinking as you as you were describing it, how back in the day, you really as as a studio, you had to rely pretty heavily on game design just because you didn't have all the flashy graphics. You didn't have all this, this memory and space and whatnot to be able to have all these other types of, um, you know, art departments, whether it's the environment or it's the characters or whatever else. I mean, like yeah. everything was actually quite crude and, and simple looking. And so really, I mean, the game play mechanics really had to stand on its own in order for a game to be successful. I mean, is there something 
that you'd like to see a return to, mm. or perhaps a, a just a I don't know. Is there a certain type of of gameplay mechanic that you'd like to see be used in more of a next gen title? Hmm, that was a tough question because there's a lot of like when I think of like game design, I always go back to like what ch- like what children play on the playground actually. <laughs> so like I think of stuff like like tag like like Call of Duty multiplayer is effectively like a game of tag. Like it's like cops and robbers, you know. Um, uh-huh. Or like stealth games are basically like hide and go seek, you know, like kids play hide and go seek. So like a lot of game design is just based on what people already play as kind of games when they're like kids, you know? Um, uh, and then, I mean, it's, you know, it's funny because I always think that like, like actually, oh man, I forgot to mention one of my all time favorite games is Kerbal Space Program actually. But like, like, like sim style games, like games where you can just like do all these like crazy things but they're like based on like 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 flight sims and stuff like that i used to play a lot of flight sims when i was a kid and they just like disappeared um it you know and they became more like tools to train people how to um fly planes you know but and and i don't know if that's just a factor of like when i was growing up there weren't a lot of games period and so flight sim was just another piece of software that seemed like a game so i started like playing it i guess but it wasn't it wasn't really a game though you know i mean i guess they had missions and stuff but um yeah, like like I'm kind of surprised like like those games disappeared. But then I think about it and I go, they're pretty technical. Like people, they're not very accessible, you know. Um, yeah. And games have just become more and more accessible over time. Like now, like mobile gaming is so huge. Um, and I remember when mobile gaming didn't exist at all, uh, and I was kind of thinking like, yeah, like I remember thinking like naively like games will never be that big on mobile because there is a phone, you know, and it'll like who wants to play a game on a phone and then like fast forward, like, you know, 10 years. And it's like, okay, Fortnite's on the phone now. Like, you know, like that's crazy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's like games that just keep getting better and better really and more accessible. And, uh, you know, but I, 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 like, I, I miss playing like those kind of like hardcore, like, like I, I used to play a lot of civilization, like, and I know Civ is still gets made, but you never hear about it anymore. Like you used to like, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, and, and those are just like, you know, board, like almost like board games in a way. Right. Um, trying to think like, I really like, um, like I play, like there's this board game I play from time to time called bang. Um, which is like kind of like a cops and robbers style game, but you're like the, uh, it's like the sheriffs and the deputies versus the outlaws, but you don't know who's who. And you kind of review all that over time. So I, I, I kind of like, wish there were more games where it was like more like overwatch does this, but like asymmetrical gameplay where like you're like different classes that kind of all somehow balance against each other, but can live in the same space and play against each other. Like overwatch is like, I'm going to talk about overwatch more, but it's like this great like design achievement that you have that many in like league as well, where you have that many champions or characters or whatever that all somehow fit together and are balanced against one another. Like that's right. like so hard to do. That's so hard to do. And people don't like, like give, like, I don't think people understand how difficult that is to do and, and to get right. Um, and so, so I really like respect games that do that a lot. Like, it's just like, Oh man, like, and, and I'm like jealous. I'm like, oh, I wish I could do that somehow, you know, like one day, maybe one day I'll make a game like that. But um, yeah. So like games with like a lot of asymmetry that somehow balance each other out. Um, and it, and also just like more sa- like big sandboxy games, but like those are always like th- those come and go. Like it's almost like this pendulum that swings. Like, like right now it feels like um, it's like BR is big, but also like oh God of War is like this m- like huge achievement, 
and like single player games are going to start coming back. I feel like um, even because right now, awesome. every, yeah, but everyone's down on single player games right now. You know, they're like, oh, this is the death of single player games. And you know, you saw like um, you know the EA the EA game. I think it was EA the Star the you know, Star Wars game got canceled. The Visceral game. Yes, and, actually, uh, that, yeah. I, I was kind of bummed to hear about that. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's not like single player games fault. Like there's, pro- there's a lot of stuff that was going on at the studio, you know, and, and back and forth stuff. And, and it, I mean, games are getting harder to make. That's kind of the other problem is like these big single player games are requiring like way more assets, resources, people's time to get made as like the, you know, the complexity of the game goes up. Right. Um, you know, in terms of like, you know, just whatever, like graphics and, 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 you know, physics systems and, and what gamers expect out of them. Right. And each game is kind of upping the bar over the next one. Um, and so like games aren't getting any easier to make. Um, but you know, I don't know, man, like, I don't know. Somebody should make a mule. Somebody should reboot mule. Somebody should reboot Jumpman. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're the guy to do it. Come on. Yeah. Jesse. Yeah. I'll go, I'll go buy the IP somehow. There you go. Probably EA still owns it. Yeah. One of the things I forgot to even like get into as we were talking about your career, what are you currently working on? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of those things like, like, Hey, I can't answer it. So, <laughs> Oh, okay. That makes so it easier. I feel so bad. It. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, what, you know. what's the name of the company you work for right uh, now? Day- Daybreak games. So they're in San Diego. Daybreak games. Yep. Okay. And they, um, they recently came out with H1Z1, uh, which is like the, which is, is, is funny. I, you know, I commiserate with a lot of the people there because, um, you know, I made the zombies and all that stuff and, and like people changed the story, but H1Z1 is another game. They were the, like really the first studio to make BR, like they made BR before BR and, and they were actually, it was big for a while. Like H1Z1 was actually really big for a while. Um, but then, you know, PUBG came out and kind of ate their lunch and, um, you know, the H1 team was, didn't adapt fast enough or whatever. And, uh, and so now when you read about like, you get, it's like, Oh, BR PUBG made BR, but it's like, no H1, H1 was like before PUBG. Um, but they kind of get written out of the narrative, which, which bums me out. Um, but yeah, so, so they make H1, they made, um, they made EverQuest, uh, they, like they were, you know, they still own and make mm-hmm. EverQuest, uh, planet side, um, I think there's a few other like kind of small, I think they made like star Wars, one of the star Wars games, the star Wars MMOs. Um, yeah. So they, 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 it's funny cause their, their history is mostly in like massively multiplayer, um, you know, kind of games. And, uh, I mean, the reason I moved, you know, part of it was, I was like, I was just tired of call of duty, you know? And it was kind of like the same thing. Like every five years seems like I'm like, ah, like I just don't, don't want to do the same thing anymore. And, want to try something creatively different and, and so on. And then, um, this opportunity opened up and it was like, it was still in SoCal, but it was San Diego, which is like very different than Los Angeles. If you oh, like, dude, know, I love San Diego. Yeah. San Diego is amazing. So, and I always told myself I wanted to retire here. So then I was like, Ooh, I, Hey, I could get a job there. So, um, so yeah. And, uh, yeah, just creative director there and, um, kind of on an unannounced project and working with some people that I've worked with for a long time, brought, you know, brought them over and trying to make something cool and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? You, do you realize you're going to have to come back onto the show when the game is like announced so we can actually geek out properly over it? Yeah, for sure. Now, when it comes to um, E3, E3 is right around the corner. Mm. Um, are there any games that you're looking forward to seeing at this year's E3? 
Um, what's, I don't know. What's, what's, I haven't like been that, uh, I have been paying too close of attention. Um, so they announced, cause I saw that so here's what I saw. I saw that they, a bunch of stuff got leaked, like rage two got leaked. Right. And, right. and then I saw just like a bunch of other stuff and I was like, these, these to me, they seem like a lot of games, at least the stuff I saw leaked were like sequels of games that have already been made. So I, and then, and then usually like I get excited at E3 when like I see the big reveal of some crazy new thing that people want to try it and do, you know? So, mm-hmm. but I don't know what's like, what, uh, you tell me, like what's, what's some stuff that, that, uh, has been announced or. So death stranding has been obviously teased <sighs> over the last several years. Oh, and, funny. um, I can't I'm make sense on, of what that is, though. I have I, no idea. I can't either. I have no idea. I'm like, oh my gosh, the production values are amazing, but yeah. I have no idea like what's going on. So I think I would be surprised if we don't see something like that. I, I heard something from um, the Sony camp. I think that mm, they're going to try mm. and, and make it kind of one of their, their cornerstone games where they're going to actually show gameplay as opposed to just these little story yeah. cinematics. I mean that's one I'm that that I'm definitely looking forward to seeing. Um, of, uh, what was the other one? Oh, CD Projekt Red's Cyberpunk 2077 oh, is supposed yeah, to be, yeah. make their big debut. That one's been in development forever. I'm a huge Witcher Three fan. I think that they've done a, a fantastic job. With that's that. right. I'm just a huge Cyberpunk fan. I cannot wait to see what they come up with with that. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah. It'll be see. Um, it'll be interesting to see how far along it is and like how much they have done. But yeah, Witcher like those guys are really good. So, um, yeah. I much respect, like, yeah, one of the, one of the times I did like, you know, big PR for call of duty stuff, they sent me to Poland and like got to, I didn't get to meet those guys, but like there were the, the fans in Poland, you can imagine are like, they just love those guys so much, you know, like, Oh, Witcher, Witcher, you know, and, and what's oh, uh, yeah. Gwent and all that stuff, man, they're, they're crazy. But yeah, Gwent's actually a really fun game too. Have you played that? No, I, um, you know, I, I used to play a lot of like, um, uh, the like the Xbox Magic games and that kind of stuff, and then I kind of peered uh-huh. out of that. But it's one of those games I do I do want to go try it out. Um, there was a point where like card like card games were becoming a big thing, and then those seemed to have like died off a bit. You know, mm-hmm. um, even like I remember like Titanfall had like a mechanic around cards, like burn cards or something. And I was like, and and I know that those guys play a lot of like or, like some of them play Magic, so. I think they got inspiration out of that, but I, I thought like card games were going to make this big resurgence and then they just sort of died off like video game card games or whatever. But red dead redemption two is another big oh, one. Oh yeah. Yeah. That for. I'm stoked about. Yep. Yep. Although the trailer, I got to admit the trailer didn't get me excited. Like I was like, Oh, red dead. I'm going to buy this game. I just know it because the other one was so amazing. I just, mm-hmm. you know, and then I'm like, all right, show me what you got. And I'm like, what? Is, I couldn't, I didn't know who, which character was who and like what they were actually like talking about or like, you know what I mean? I couldn't follow if there's a narrative there because it was just to me like, and, and, you know, whatever, like I'm not trying to be negative, but it just felt like generic. Like it's like, we're going to, no, no, it's fine. We're going to get those guys and you better watch out, you know? And it, like I didn't, there wasn't anything memorable about it. Um, so, but I'm still going to buy it. I'm still going to play it. I'm still going to love it. I'm sure. So. It's rock star. You know, yeah. anything they're going to do is going to be amazing. And, yeah. and plus too, I think at E3, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're going to actually have like rock stars hard to get into though. Like it Rockstar's is. booth is always like closed off, can't get in, like, like walled off, like black walls, like no, no entry. <laughs> like, yeah. But yeah, I think it's gonna be cool. The last of us part two. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not a big Last of Us fan um, oh. for what it's worth. And it's not like I don't I don't respect what they do. I just, I'm, I'm like, it's funny, like third person stealth games are like the, like the lowest on my list typically of games I need to go play. Like I'm more of like a, 
Um, like I mentioned, like I'm into Kerbal or like, I like Overwatch, you know, <laughs> like I like shooters and then like Sims and then like when, and then eventually I'll get to like third person games and then like third person stealth games. Like I know that's like, like blasphemy, but what's the, um, like Dishonored, like I'm not like into Dishonored at all. Everyone's like, Dishonored's oh. amazing. And I'm like, I can't, I just can't. Cause I try to like shoot my way through those games cause I'm more action oriented, you know? Uh-huh. And then yeah. like, it, like if the mechanics don't support me shooting through it, then like it's just like punishes me. And then I'm like, oh, okay, I'm out. Like, or I'll okay. play a little bit to get what That's I can fair. get out of it. Although I did like, um, uh, what was that? Well, that was a splinter cell game where like, uh, well, any of the more, more recent splinter, splinter cell games I think have been fo- more action focused, which I prefer, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which has been cool. But, um, speaking yeah. of there, there's actually a heavy rumors that, uh, Ubisoft is going to be showing off a next gen splinter cell this year's year. Uh, That's cool. Yeah. Or like a oh, and then like Rain, like Siege is cool. Like Rainbow Six Siege, that's another great game that like they yeah. put out. Yeah, like I, I just like shoot. I like shooters. Like if it's a first person shooter, I'll probably play it. You know, um, I love first person shooters the most. Really, I'm curious if Halo Six is going to make an appearance. That's what. Yeah, it's funny. Like me and my buddies are like speculating. You know, because we don't have a lot of like, you know contact there anymore. But we're like sitting here thinking like they better they better like reveal something soon. Cause it's like, you know, what are they doing otherwise? You know, um, I think it's about time. Cause they didn't show anything last year. I don't even know if they show anything the year before that. I think this year, I think it's just yeah. time. I, I, I my just, prediction is you'll see some sort of like, like really like teasy, like in, you know, in the, in the Microsoft Xbox presser thing, they'll just like Bonnie will get out on stage and she'll like say like, you know, Halo's come in, don't worry, you know, whatever. We love our fans. And then she'll come out and like, the, it'll just be like a, piece of concept art or, you know, like a, a quick little <laughs> video of something that doesn't completely make sense. And then, then the fans will go crazy about it, you know, and like speculate yeah. and, and like, yeah, that's my guess. Gears of War five uh, is rumored also to make an appearance. I'm not oh. sure if you're a third person shooter fan, but I, I, well, so I like gears. I'll actually like gears a lot. I think it's a pretty fun game. I, I mean, I like that it has co-op, honestly. Like when I play that game, I'm like, let's play some co-op, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But I didn't play four. Three was the last one I played. So um, anyway, but yeah, like if it's if it's like it's funny because it's like Assassin's Creed. Like I like Assassin's Creed, but I can't play it every year because it's just too. I like again, like wife and kid, like don't have time to sink sixty hours into like you know these. <laughs> I know exactly games. what you're talking about. I have a so, wife and kid too. <laughs> yeah. So so like I remember, I remember when I was a kid, I used to be that's like amazing. But now I'm older, I just can't do that anymore. So I can't play like every Assassin's Creed game. So I I kind of like selectively go like, okay, like this is the one that's getting like good Metacritic. Like people are saying good things about it. Like I'm going to, I'm going to figure out, you know, what's different about this game. Cause you know, like each like Assassin's Creed game or whatever, there's usually not a whole lot that changes from year to year. Um, and you know, same with Call of Duty, right? It's like, there's, there's a lot of, but then it's like, you want to see, you want to see like where they tried some new stuff out or where like people thought that this new feature was cool. So they, you know what I mean? Like, so, and, and just for like research purposes, you know, um, and so I can get inspired. That's, that's how I tend to look at like playing games anymore. Yeah. 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 Well, very cool, man. I, I just, I want to just thank you for, for taking your time. I know that, that this is your, your time off away from your, your wife and kids. So <laughs> give them a, a heartfelt thank you for me. I know they don't know who I am. <laughs> They're gonna yeah. be like, who's that? But, <laughs> it's uh, all good. but no, Seriously, th- though, thank you for taking the time to be able to talk to me about all this stuff. This has just been a, a fantastic chat with you. Oh, so yeah, no problem. It was fun. Love to have you come back on in the future, especially when you're able to talk about your, your new project, because now I'm all, you, you piqued my interest. I'm like, what's <laughs> on? How can I yeah. get him to spill the beans? That's right. It's our job. 
Keep you guessing. That wraps up this episode of Joygasm. I really hope everyone enjoyed this exclusive interview with Jesse. If you have any questions or comments for him, you can ping Jesse on Twitter at the Jesse Snyder. Make sure you tune in next week when Steve returns and we give our review of Solo, A Star Wars Story. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm and pledge a buck a month for exclusive access to the show. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. In addition to iTunes and Android, you can listen to our podcast on TuneIn Radio. Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud.com slash JoygasmTV. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We'll see you next week. <laughs>